Good morning, church. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. And as you're uh, grabbing your Bibles, you're going to be opening them up um, here pretty soon. I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures on the screen, but we'll eventually be in Luke 1. If you want to get a jump start, you can. We're going to start a, a new series here. Um, we've been talking about loving God. Now we're going to talk about loving others, sort of our who we are as a church and what we believe. And I'm excited about this because we're going to be, as we do this, we're going to go through um, the stories that we are so familiar with at Christmas time, and uh, the incredible stories in the Gospels. And, and um, through those, I, I hope and pray that we see God's Word in a new way that we maybe never seen before. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm excited about this, but we're going to start off with this. It's, it's a, I guess, a statistic. We all know that statistics can vary, right? But this one I was looking at, and it sort of took me back a little bit. It says the National Women's Health Resource Center found that two-thirds of all women reported feeling depression during the holidays. Two-thirds. Think about that. So ladies in here right now, two out of every three of you are seriously going through depression right now. And that's sad, isn't it? And, I'm, and again, statistically speaking, men, I don't know what it would be for us. I'm sure we're you know, not too far behind in those stats. But quite honestly, our Christmases can be filled with disappointment and depression and discouragement. And we look through it and we're like, all right, how are we going to get through this one? And it's not so much that we're busy running from one place to another and, and, and just, I, I can't catch so much going on. I can't catch my breath. Sometimes it's the fact that we're just alone. We don't have anybody to spend Christmas with. We don't have anybody to share those laughs with, and it's depressing, right? Well, I want to take you back to a young lady. Her name is Mary. Mary was nine months pregnant. Think about that. Okay, now, for us men, we have no clue. We really don't. So let's just be honest up front right away. We cannot relate. All we know is that if we are married and we've We've had a wife who's been pregnant. We can sort of like, yeah, I remember that. I'm so glad when the baby finally came, right? For ladies, if you can remember when you're nine months pregnant, for those of you who have been pregnant, it's a time of being, from what I hear, very uncomfortable. Those are the words that come out, right? So think about this. Mary and Joseph are forced to take an 80 to 90 mile journey while being nine months pregnant. Now, we look at the pictures and we see stories in movies and we're like, oh, she rode on a donkey, Okay. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible that, and Mary rode on a donkey, we don't find that word in anywhere, but we go with customs and, uh, and maybe tradition and see how did they travel back then. So, okay, maybe she was on a donkey, but now think about that. Nine months pregnant on a donkey going 80 to 90 miles, which is going to probably take nine or ten days. Okay? How fun is that? Right? And maybe, you know, think this through too. Mary had planned probably to have her baby with her mom there and her, her close friends surrounding her and a midwife, somebody to help her deliver the baby at her home, the comfort of her own bed. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Not anymore. No mom, no close friends, no midwife and where she had the baby. Now, again, go back to customs and traditions and look how these houses were built and some of them were built into the side of maybe a, a mountain so there's a cave and maybe where the the manger 
uh, was at would have been a, a, um, a cave, it could have been, but that's where they kept the animals. But if you were to say modern day, what it would look like for us, it would have been like our garage, because that's where we store our vehicle. That's Well, their vehicle was horses and camels, right, or, and donkeys. So that would have been their modern day garage. That's where she had her baby. And her baby was not in a nice soft bed. It's in a manger, a feeding trough. When you think about all that, it was not so much a silent night where all was calm and all was bright. And there was no away in a manger where the cattle are lowing. And I grew up on a farm. I have no idea what a cattle lows sounds like. And the poor baby wakes, right? Oh. I don't think it was like that. Those are great songs. Love singing those songs. But a baby was born. There was probably some crying going on. I'm sure Mary was exerting herself as she gave birth to this child. And as Jesus came out, I don't think he came out like all heavenly, like, oh, that filleth so good as to be oddest in the earth. <laughs> no, and not to make light of it, but, I, you know, he was a baby. Isn't that so hard? It almost sounds irreverent to, to talk like that. But he was a baby. He probably cried. He was messy. The place was a mess. It, it was not so much a silent night. Not what Mary had planned at all, right? So we think about this. Life is messy, isn't it? Life is not what we planned. The holidays are the same way. And the darkness of this time of the year doesn't help, does it? You wake up and head off to work or to school and it's dark. You come home and it's dark. And it seems like everything's dark all the time. And I'm so easily depressed. And besides the disappointments or maybe the pressures that are going on with the holidays, then you take into the fact that we are sinful people. And we've got our problems, right? Selfishness, addictions, abuse. Doesn't make the holidays so joyful after all, is it? Think back to what Mary was thinking. What was going on in her mind at this time? Look back at the place where Jesus was born and what he was laid in a feeding trough. And then listen to the words of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. We see good news and bad news in that verse. That bad news is sitting in darkness. You ever gone to visit a friend who's going through a rough time? You walk in their house, their shades are closed, the lights are dim. You walk in, it's just like it's so dark in here. Open up the windows, you know, put the lights on, right? You want to brighten up the place. But because you're so maybe depressed and going through a rough time, it's like, just keep it dark. A nation, a nation was sitting in darkness. Death was casting its shadow upon them, but the good news was that a light was shining. John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5 says this. The word, Jesus gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, the world seems so dark and it's not just physically, but it's spiritually, isn't it? And then this eternal light, Jesus Christ came into this world to give hope, to give light. He was born and now at Christmas time, you know, you think about when the lights go up, it brightens up what was dark, just like what Jesus did, right? But we want to go back to maybe how did Christmas get celebrated when it got celebrated as of right now? 
And it was said that the pagan Christmas really was celebrated because of winter solstice. And winter solstice is known as midwinter. It's basically this astronomical phenomenon that takes place marking the day when it is the shortest amount of light in the day and the longest amount of darkness in the night. It's when the poles of this earth are tilted in such a way it's tilted the furthest from the sun, providing the most amount of darkness that would occur during the day. That's the winter solstice. So Christmas, according to what they said, that some pagans started Christmas, was on the day when winter solstice takes place, which means tomorrow it all changes. The days are going to become longer and the nights shorter, where there'll be more light, less dark. Christ came into a dark world and brought light. So it makes sense, doesn't it, why maybe they chose that? Well, the night Jesus was born was definitely a dark night, a dark world, but everything changed. That night Jesus was born, our Savior was born. A disappointing time, a messy place, a not-so-calm night. Everything changed because a Savior was born. Our help is here. When we say Savior, think about this. He is the one who saves. He is a Savior. He saved us from the darkness. He saved us from death. In the midst of a mess, when we need a Savior who can really clean it up, Jesus arrives our Savior. So we follow him. But let's make clear as to why we follow him. Many of you in here, you've prayed that prayer. You've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've asked him to come into your life to be your Lord, not just your Savior that saves you from your sins, but your Lord who guides you through life. When you do this, you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's make it clear that we do not follow Jesus Christ Because he's going to change my circumstances. Some people think that. I will follow Jesus because he'll change my circumstances. No, what he does is he changes you to help you through your circumstances. I'm following Jesus so I can get rich and he'll pay my bills. He'll help me find a spouse. No, no, and no. Now those things might happen, but that's not why we follow Jesus. I follow Jesus because I believe that His life, his death, his resurrection, and teachings offer me truth for my life. He offers me strength for the journey that I got to take every day in trying to follow him. He offers me hope in the face of despair. When things are going bad, I find hope in Jesus. Following him doesn't change my life situations. It just helps me as I'm going through life's situations where I find that hope, I find that peace. I find that strength. I follow Jesus Christ because I believe that he shows me through God how I'm supposed to live. In in death, he shows me mercy. In his resurrection, he shows me hope. And that's why I follow him. From beginning to the end, he is our Savior. And at Christmas time, think about this, at Christmas time, we not only think about the manger and the stable, We also focus on the cross and salvation. Jesus died on that cross for you and for me. That's a great gift of salvation. That's a central part of his mission. But that's not the only thing he came to do. He was born to show us 
the way. He came to teach us the truth and he invited us to find life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me, is what he said. So he showed us how to love others. We've been talking about how to love God. And we said we quickly discover that, you know, as we want to love God, we want to surrender our lives to him. We want to immerse ourselves in his word. We want to obey his word. We want to give him thanks. But then it's like, well, then how do I now love others? Well, we do that through the power of God and through the way Jesus Christ lived his life. We celebrate Jesus as Savior. We celebrate him as our Lord because he was born to show us the way to live. And his way is amazing. Amen? Think about his way. See, when people were first Christians, go back to the book of Acts. When people were first Christians, they weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. There was a way in which they wanted to live. And what I did was I just threw a few verses up there on the screen for you, but the words and teachings of Jesus provided a way, a path to take. His way includes things such as denying yourself, serving others, doing unto others as they would do unto you, loving one another, being a light to the world, loving our neighbors and our enemies, forgiving and showing mercy, feeding the hungry, giving clothes to the poor, whatever it may be. Jesus has all these things that he showed us the way to live our life. Now, if you're in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. And before we study the ways of Jesus and how we're going to love one another, I want to start with the birth of Jesus. And a couple stories, two stories that took place prior to the birth of Jesus to sort of help set the stage for where we're going to go the next three weeks then. Let's start verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, I'm going to pause every now and then and just stop and want you to think about this setting. I want you to imagine who Mary is. She is a 13 or 14-year-old teenage girl. Think about that. Next time you see those girls uh, bringing those baby think-it-overs from school, think Mary, okay? Boy, that hits home, doesn't it? This little girl was about ready to get married. And girls back in biblical times, they got married at a young age because their life expectancy was short. Most women lived to be in their late 30s, 40s. So getting married at 13 was a good thing to get that life going, right? There would have been a year-long legal engagement followed by a formal ceremony. And during that engagement period, that is when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. Imagine what's going on. First of all, that angel is standing before you. Imagine a little 13-year-old girl with this big strapping angel. His name is Gabriel. Gabriel means hero of God. So I'm picturing somebody like The Rock standing there, you know, like, hey, no, I, I can't even do that. I don't even look like, you know, can't come close, can't imitate it. But can you imagine this big strapping angel and this little 13-year-old like, ha, ah, 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 selfie. Okay, um, no, I'm thinking that big strapping angel appears to Mary, and Mary is probably melting, not in awe of, like, he's cute, but awe of, this is an angelic being. Probably fearful, right? Well, we know because 
Gabriel said, fear not, right? But imagine that scene. Verse 28, Gabriel appears to hear her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now the King James Version reads this, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Roman Catholics translate this, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Now, I'm going to pause for a second, and I'm not trying to put two things together here, but you want to remember this moment with Mary? When you watch a football game, okay, and it's the last play of the game, and the offense is trying to throw a long pass to score so that they can just pull out a miracle and win. It's called a what? Hail Mary. Did you know that? That's that famous pass. It's the last opportunity to see a miracle for victory. It's called a Hail Mary. Go back to Scripture. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. It was like the earth has fallen apart. Humanity is losing. And God drops back and sends an angel, Gabriel, and gives a, he gives a Hail Mary, basically, right? Thou art highly favored. As it goes on to say, next time you see a football game and you see that last pass, let it take you back to the best, best, important victory ever seen was in this moment when the announcement came that salvation was on the way. That is truly an awesome play right there. Well, as we see this, the you are highly favored, thou art favored woman, it is saying you are full of grace. Grace is used throughout the Bible in numerous ways. What does grace mean? We ask for grace, right? Lord, show us grace. We sing amazing grace. And then we also are saved by grace. So as you look through the scripture, what does it mean? One author said this. Grace is God's kindness, his love, his care, his work on our behalf, his blessings, his gifts, his goodness, his forgiveness, his salvation, all of this, and they are undeserved. Think about that. They are a pure gift of God, unearned, undeserved, all of that. All of which God is giving us, we did not earn it, we do not deserve it. That is grace when he gives that to us. Mary did not deserve that moment. Mary does not deserve this moment, but God chose her. Grace was fully expressed from God through Jesus to Mary. It's an amazing picture. Look at verse 29 with me. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel proceeds to tell Mary what's going to happen now. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him what? Let's say it, church. You'll name him what? Jesus. The name above all names, right? He will be very great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Capital S, the word the, not a. I had somebody come to me up after church one time and say, uh, Pastor Rex, I hate to disagree with you, but there is not just one Son of God. There are many sons of gods. What? Oh, yeah, there's, there's many sons of God. Says, no, there's not. There's only one son of God, the son of the most high God. If anybody ever tells you that there's more than one son of God and that Jesus was just one of many sons, you have my permission to take them to the scripture and put the truth in their face. Correct that false doctrine right away, please. There's only one son of God. 
His name is what? Jesus. Goes on and says, The Lord God will give him the throne of the ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The what is a little clearer now as to what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. The question now is how, right? Can you imagine this little teenage girl? She's hearing all this, soaking it all in, like, and how's this going to happen? Right? Mary's this young teenager. She's probably been taught some things about biology, and she's probably had a little talk with her mom, right, about getting married. She definitely knows that there's going to be a honeymoon, and she's probably figuring out what's going to happen on the honeymoon. Not too far away, but she is still a virgin, isn't she? Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called what? The Son of God. There it is again, underlined it. Always come back to that. Don't miss that last part of that announcement. Oh, and wait, there's still more that's going to happen. Somebody else is going to experience grace because what's happening with Mary? She is experiencing grace. She is getting something she did not earn, she did not deserve, but God is giving it to her. That is grace being shown. Does that make sense? Now check out what happens. Somebody else is going to get grace. Verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Elizabeth, Zachariah and Elizabeth were not supposed to have kids. They couldn't have kids. And then she's way beyond the years of having kids. But God gave her one. You'll find out later he's John the Baptist. So in this moment, Mary's being told, oh, by the way, your cousin, six months pregnant. What? No way. Yeah, and you, now, both of you who are not expecting are expecting. Wow. Verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. You may want to underline that one. All the promises that we have from God's word always come back to verse 37. The word of God never fails. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. You know, at that point in time, she doesn't ask any more questions. She did ask how, but did you see her ask why? No. She was like, hey, wait, 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 Gabriel, before you take off, tell me why. Why am I being chosen? Why me? Why am I having Jesus as my son? This makes no sense. Wait, I got more questions, more questions. So how is this all going to proceed? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What about Joseph? What's he going to think? She didn't do any of that, did she? She's very humble. She had a heart for God. She's this unlikely candidate. But isn't that just like God, as you read through the Bible? It always seems he picks the common, the unlikely, to do the big things for him. And he did with Mary. Now, we know this about Mary, this little teenage girl, right? But what about her soon-to-be husband, Joseph? What's going on with him with all this whole story? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18. Understand that when we first met Joseph, um, when we first meet him in Scripture, he just learned that his young wife-to-be is pregnant. We don't know much about Joseph before. We don't hear a lot about Joseph throughout Scripture. It just, boom, it pops up right here. He just finds out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. They were formally engaged to this legal binding ceremony. In a sense, they were already married. But all that was left was the official ceremony to take place. And then the consummation of the marriage, and then the honeymoon, and a move to Joseph's house. 
When you got married in biblical times, you moved into your mom and dad's house, your dad's house. Dads would have this house. They would add on a room for you when you became a part of the family. Think about this. There are many rooms in my father's house. You ever hear that one before? Jesus say in my father's house, there are many rooms, right? Think about that one, okay? So the father of Joseph adds on a room, and that's where they're going to be. That makes the marriage complete, okay? Now, however, Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. He's not the father. Yeah, look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let's see what happens. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, not hard to imagine how Joseph's feeling now about Mary's unapparent or apparent unfaithfulness. He was devastated. I mean, how could Mary do this? He most likely emotionally felt betrayed, dishonored, humiliated, hurt, and Mary probably tried to explain it all. Well, there was this angel. He's really big. He's like a hero. And Joseph's like, yeah, I know. It's another guy. And he's probably big. He's like, no, no, it was an angel. Sure it was. And the, could you imagine this conversation going down her trying to explain all this? According to Scripture in the timeline, geographically where this all took place, Mary would have been with her cousin Elizabeth at that time when Joseph came down from Bethlehem a few miles away to visit. And where he probably got the news. And it's believed that after visiting, he went back home devastated, thinking about this, contemplating, what should I do? Because by law, Mary was supposed to be stoned. By law, people were supposed to pick up stones and rocks, put her in the middle, and just pound her with stones until she was dead. By law, if you got pregnant before marriage, that's what happens. Times have changed, haven't they? But... Joseph looked at that saying, that's what they're supposed to do, right? He had to consider what he would do. People would know the engagement was going to be broken off. They would soon discover that Mary was pregnant. They would assume he was the one. They would assume that he slept with Mary when he was, she was visiting Zechariah and Elizabeth in their town. There would have been shame placed upon Joseph. The dowry that he gave to Mary's family, they get to keep. And then he would also have to provide for the baby. By law, Joseph should have allowed Mary to be stoned, but look what verse 19 says. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace, disgrace, no grace, her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. It was in that disappointing and painful time that God revealed his plan to Joseph then. Because Joseph is sitting there going, she makes me so mad, I can't believe she did this, but yet I care for her. She should be put to death, but I don't want her to die. I don't want her to suffer, but I'm going to be humiliated and shamed. What do I do? Look at verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. He did not have any sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, why share these two stories before we get into this all loving others message? It's in these two stories we witness grace. We witness undeserved, unearned kindness and goodness, love shown towards others. God showed his grace to Mary. She did not deserve this position, but God showed grace. Joseph showed grace to Mary. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. He showed her grace. Could have had her taken care of. But he sighed, decided to keep her, marry her, and love her. This reminds me that Christmas, Christmas is experiencing grace. Christmas is, is not getting what we deserve. When Christmas rolls around, it's like, well, what's under the tree for me? As if we deserve something. Christmas is expressing grace, getting something we don't deserve. Mary did not deserve this honor, but God showed grace. Joseph could have, could have really hurt Mary and totally dismissed her. Instead, he showed grace. Think back to what God has done for us. What has he done for us? What does Romans 5, 8 say? But God showed his grace towards us. He showed his mercy toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're messed up. We live in this messed up world. And God says, I love you. And I'm sending my son for you. You don't deserve it, but I'm doing it. This Christmas, I want you to ask this question. How can I show grace? We, we can already answer the question, how have I received grace? We've all received grace. We've all been given something we don't deserve. None of us in this room deserve heaven. Not one of us. I'm sorry, you don't, not one of us. I don't care how good you are, how good I am. Not one of us are perfect. We do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve God's love. Well, he owes me. God owes us nothing but hell. That's what we deserve. But he gives us heaven. He gave us his son. We've been tasting God's grace every single day. So let me ask you this. How can you show grace to somebody else this Christmas? You've tasted it. You've seen it. How can you show grace to somebody else? You don't even have to wrap it up. How nice is that? Men, we have no excuses. I'm not very good at wrapping. You don't have to wrap up grace. You don't even have to put it under a tree. You don't even have to wait till Christmas. You can show grace immediately. We've said that loving God is surrendering to God, immersing ourselves in God's word, obeying God's word, giving thanks to God, worshiping God. That's loving God. Now, what does it mean to love others? Loving others is then the way, living the way of God through Jesus Christ as it was shown. I love God, now I'm going to love others. How do I do that? Well, how did Jesus do it? How can I show grace to others even when they don't deserve it? When you pull up that four-way stop and you pull up and another car pulls up maybe just a second or two after you, and you're like, I'm going to punch and get through before they get going. That moment when you sort of stop and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and let them go. Even though maybe you got there a couple of seconds prior, guess what you're showing? Grace. I deserve to go first because I got here first, right? But I'm going to let them who does not deserve to go first, go first. See, it's a simple act of grace, right? 
Simple acts of grace. Maybe going through the cashier as you're checking out, and you notice the cashier's been having a hard time getting maybe harassed or having a rough day, and they get up there and they swipe, swipe, You know, and they're trying to get it to go, beep, beep. Ah, rang up twice, and they're trying to fix it. And they're just having a rough day. And you probably want to like, I can't believe this. I got in the wrong line. I do that all the time, right? I calculate. I do. I stand there. Three people, two people. That's going to be the faster one. I take the faster one. It's always wrong because that person, just something happens, right? In that moment, guess what I get to do? Show grace. Show grace. Show them love, even if they, whether they deserve it or not. They need it. Showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it, that's grace. Jesus would live a life of showing grace to who? Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Think about it. When you read through Scripture, all the people that Jesus hung out with were people who did not deserve love. Zacchaeus, oh, he didn't deserve it, but Jesus hung out with him. I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. Grace has the power to change hearts, doesn't it? When you experience grace, it transforms you. When you show grace, it transforms you. Grace has incredible power. Adam Hilton or Hamilton shares an illustration of a story, and I know this probably isn't the greatest story to illustration, but it is sort of when you think about it, it's like that ain't that ain't so bad of an illustration. It's the movie from Fred Claus. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's not a classic. It's not like Christmas Story or Miracle on 34th Street, but it is a Christmas movie. And I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it came out a few years ago, and it's basically about Santa and his long-lost brother. Maybe you didn't know Santa has a long-lost brother. His name is Fred. It's an awesome name, right? Fred's in trouble, and he needs some help financially. He's struggling, so he calls his brother Nick up at the North Pole and uh, basically says, I'm in a lot of trouble right now. I need some help. Can you help me out? Can you bail me out? And, of course, Nick, Santa Claus, says, I'll tell you what. Why don't you come up to the North Pole? I'll give you a job. And I'll help you out if you do this job. All right. So Fred agrees to come to the North Pole after a while, finally. And he's given a job. His job is very simple. Many of you have heard of this job before. Somebody's got to check this list, checking it twice, going to find out who's not your nice. You guys already know, right? So, so guess whose job that's going to be? It's going to be Fred's job. Fred gets to go through the naughty nice list and decide naughty nice, naughty nice, right? So as Fred starts to go through it, and you have to understand, Fred is not so nice at times, okay? So as he's looking through this list, he's a little tainted as he looks at it, but as he looks through the list, he sees certain people and he's like, you know what? I know they're naughty, but they're still a good person. And what they did was naughty, but they're still good. So, you know what? Nice. Because maybe if they get a gift, that will change them and they will become nicer, right? What was Fred doing? He was basically doing this. He was displaying grace, giving something good to people who did not deserve it. Like I said, it's maybe a stretch on the illustration, but it was grace that was being shown. Think about this now, back to a true story where God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as an act of grace, giving us something we don't deserve, eternal life. We're the naughty kids. Oh, if there's a naughty nice list that God had, guess who's on the naughty list? All of us, right? God shows grace. He gives us forgiveness. And the thing is, Jesus didn't just teach grace. He showed grace. He showed us the way to give grace. 
John chapter 1. You look at this scripture. John chapter 1, verses 14, 16, and 17. Let me read this to you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. We've seen his glory. Glory as the one and only Son. Again, it is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, when we look at all the commands, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? Guess what? We break commands. The law shows us how sinful we are, but Jesus Christ came to what? He came to give us grace and truth, grace upon grace, because he is full of grace and truth. So when I look at Christmas, I look at Christmas now and I see this. Christmas is God's grace on display. We don't deserve it, but he freely gives it to us. So church, let me ask you this. Have you accepted that free gift? Have you tasted the grace of God? I hope and pray that every single person in this room has confessed their sins to a holy God. And you've asked him to be the savior of your life. And not just be your savior, but be your Lord to help you live every day. I pray that you've asked Christ to come into your life, his spirit to come into your life. If you've prayed that prayer and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have tasted grace. You have grace. Now here's what we do with the grace that God's given us. We take that grace and then we go share it with somebody else. Go share it with somebody else. Give grace away today. Loving others is showing grace to others. And that's the worship team to come up here. As the worship team's coming up, I want you to think about this. Everybody does Christmas differently. Some of us, we buy gifts for everybody in the family, right? My, my family, when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. There was six of us kids, so we, we drew names. Okay, so we put our names and drew out a name. This is who I'm getting a gift for for Christmas. And then if I have enough money, I'll get, try to get some for mom and dad. Mom and dad always got something for all of us kids. Usually one or two gifts. You know, that's just sort of the way it was. But I want you to picture this. What if it was this way in heaven? What was this way in heaven back before God sent Jesus Christ to earth? What if he's up in heaven? He's like, all right, guys, angels, come on together and here together. I was thinking about this year, how I wanted to show my love to you all. Um, you haven't heard about this yet, but it's going to be sort of like a Christmas thing. Um, and, and I don't know if, if this is a good idea or not, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give everybody something this year for Christmas. We're going to draw names. And Gabriel's like, oh, man, I got Rex. He never knows what he wants for Christmas. How am I going to get something for him, right? I mean, what if it was that way in heaven, where everybody just drew names, and they're just going to give something away to one person or whatever, and God's like, we're, we're not going to give this gift-giving stuff anymore. I'm just, we're just, let's just do it right here and just swap it up, mess it up a little bit. What if it were done that way? would have been horrible, wouldn't it? Instead, what did God do? Hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to give everyone, everyone something. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. God gave it all. That's grace. Have you?
receive that grace? If you have, do me a favor. Nah, don't do me a favor. Be obedient to God and show that grace to other people now. I'm sure you got a list of people you can show grace to, right? And if you don't have a list, oh, trust me, sometime today, somebody's going to do something. They will not deserve your love. They will not deserve your forgiveness. They will not deserve a smile from you. But you can show them grace by loving them, by forgiving them, by smiling upon them. Because we've been shown grace. Amen? Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an incredible God. A God full of love and grace and truth. And God, as we approach Christmas, let's remember grace. Undeserved, unearned kindness, goodness, salvation, blessings. You give it to us. You didn't even deserve it. We are so thankful, God. We are so thankful. So God, help us now to love others by showing that same grace to others. So hard to love people sometimes. But God, through your amazing grace, through your spirit, we can. What an honor, what a privilege to live that way for you. We love you, Lord. Lord, help us now as we sing to sing to you, to give you glory. Not us, but you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.